Guys, welcome to the panel, and thank you for serving us today uh, in chapel and in the context of this conversation. Uh, before we get to it, I, Jared, more congratulations. You have a new book out today, and uh, tell us about the book briefly. Yeah, it's called Friendship with a Friend of Sinners, releases today from Baker Bookhouse. Uh, really excited about it. It's basically how to be friends with Jesus and what kind of friend Jesus is. And so... Um, Congratulations. Is this like your seventh or your eighth book this year? <laughs> this is my second book this okay, year. Okay, okay. Just checking, just checking, just checking. Well, guys, we're here today to talk about pornography. And again, e even saying that word and uh, framing the topic reminds me of how far our culture has come in my lifetime. I'm in my mid-40s, as I guess many of us on the panel are, or thereabouts, and uh, much is... <laughs> that thereabouts was for you, Dr. Branch. <laughs> uh, just a reminder of how radically our culture has changed uh, in our lifetimes. I was thinking about the panel today and the topic, and, uh, you know, as a teenager, as a boy growing up in the Deep South, the Bible Belt culture, before so many technological advances like the Internet and the smartphone and all the rest, you know, when you heard the word pornography, at least in my childhood, it, it, it tended to revolve around like some kind of seedy guy in the neighborhood who had a dad who was uh, not very responsible, and the folks who didn't go to church and lived a rowdy life, and the dad in the neighborhood had, had magazines that, that, that my family and other families would not have in their house. And, and that, that was kind of the, the mystique of pornography. You know, it, it was there. It was in print. You had to really go looking for it to get it. You had to go to a Circle K gas station or someplace to, to buy it, and you had to go seeking it out. And, and, and it, it, was, it was there, but, but it was distant. And then I remember going to college in the late 1990s and uh, didn't have a laptop, didn't have a computer in my dorm. And college had a computer lab, this ancient thing known as a computer lab. And, uh, you know, the computer lab was like a, a room that had about 50 computers in it. There were, you know, like, like, like seven or eight rows of six or seven computers each deep. I remember walking in the computer lab one day with a buddy of mine. And uh, the computer lab was just had a few people in there working, but the very back row of the computer lab, the very far corner, like sitting back by himself, and the computer was turned, kind of turned for privacy. My buddy said to me, so you know what that guy's doing? I said, no. He said, uh, he's looking at pornography. I was like, what? No. Like, my mind was blown that that was a possibility, you know, and that's the late 1990s. So here we are in the year 2023, and the reality is that every person in this room within the sound of my voice has immediate access to pornography if they want it. And they often have immediate access to pornography even when they don't. Times have changed to where we used to, a generation ago, have to go seeking it out, buying it, going to the red light district, whatever. Now it's there, and it's a ubiquitous and it's coming at us. And so I want us today to help make sense of all this for our listeners, um, hopefully to do so in an encouraging way to spur us on towards godliness, also in a redemptive way, understanding that virtually every person in this room, most likely every person in this room has had encounters with pornography, whether they wanted to or not. And so that's why we're having the conversation today. And I wanted you men to join me because each one of your own uh, ministries and your writing ministries and all the rest that you teach on or that you've engaged, I know this is a topic of concern to you as well. So having framed the conversation here briefly, um, give us a sense, I guess, more broadly on the front end, as I just framed it, kind of my lifetime experience. I mean, is that, is that, does that register with you guys as being largely accurate? Yeah, and, and I would add there's probably two key dates that we would want to pay attention to to understand how things have changed. One of them is 2007. 
Um, in 2007, over 50% of American households began to have broadband internet access. So more people than not had access to video content like they never had before. 2013, you had over 50% of American households um, had smartphones. And then that also ended up being broadband as well. So what happened after those dates, what you said was, was totally true. You used to have to go out and find it. Even on the internet in the late 90s and the 2000s, it was a, it was a different thing. It wasn't what um, Heath Lambert calls in his book, moving pornography. Um, so, so it's, it, which has just opened up a whole new level of, of degradation, and it's always in your pocket. It's just, it's just always there and, and ubiquitous. And, so, and, and that's the, the real change from then to now is it's ubiquity. It's just everywhere. Right, and you go, you, know, you, you cited two dates in the, in the mid to late 2000s. Um, you go previous to that to when Al Gore invented the internet, I mean, that, that started the expansion, right? And, and then though, um, social media is an accelerator as far as the bots, the accounts, people follow you whether you want them to or not, you know, all that comes at you more aggressively. Dr. Branch. Yeah, there's four A's of internet pornography, so it's available. Uh, we don't know how many porno pornographic internet sites are up there. It's just astronomical. So it's available, it's affordable, it's free. And then there's the anonymity. You talked about you used to have to go to some seedy place, but now there's this complete anonymity. And then fourth, it's addictive. If you can imagine someone hooked on cocaine that has a, uh, uh, a needle and permanently implanted in their arm attached to a machine, they could just get all the cocaine they want any time of day. Internet porn is like that. It's that addictive. You just click, 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 click. So it's those four A's, affordable, it's available, it's anonymity and addictive. It's, it's a deadly combination. You know, I want to turn to Dr. Johnson a moment as one who works so much in the counseling world as to what you're seeing just coming through the offices these days. But, but before I, 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 I tee you up here, just reading in recent uh, months, thinking about this topic, the New York Times, which is not a, you know, a bastion of conservative thought exactly, um, an article that, that registered the fact that 75% of teenagers have viewed pornography. Honestly, I thought that was a little low. 75% um, of teenagers have viewed pornography. The average age of first exposure is the age of 12. I thought that was a little high. Um, and then 58%, so almost 60% said they did not seek it out. It came to them. And to me, that was the most saddening data point of them all. Because you can monitor your children's cell phone, but you can't necessarily prevent what someone else may text them or show them in the locker room or show them in the bathroom or show them whatever. Dr. Johnson. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely increasing. Um, one of the statistics that, that's often left out is not only is it growing among a male population, it's also growing among female population. And I think in part to uh, what's been articulated here, um, as far as on the counseling side, I think, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit more freedom for people to at least confess that these things are, are happening. Uh, and part of that has to do with um, the popularity of it in the culture and the availability of it in the culture. So uh, we're certainly on the counseling side seeing uh, an increase in demand uh, as it relates to uh, pornography itself. And one of my goals today is, again, even in this place, to, um, to, to, to remind ourselves that we're a culture of redemption and a culture of grace. And yes, we all have accountability, including especially those of us who are employed here along these lines. But, but you don't want a church or any Christian community to come to a place where you are rewarded for burying sin. 
and you are stigmatized for, for bringing sin to light. And so there's a balance there, right? So I guess to, to the, the first question I want to drill into here with you men is this. Like, so what's wrong with pornography? Why should we be having a panel on it? Why should we be you know, checking our kids' phones? Why should we have accountability in our lives? Why should we be warning everyone against it? What's wrong with pornography? Who wants to go first? I'll go. Um, I, there's, there's two sides to this. Well, there's multiple sides, but two I would emphasize. It it's degrades human beings, and it's sinful from those who produce it and from those who consume it. Um, we often only think of the how it affects those who consume it. Um, but you have to understand, those who are producing this, the people who are participating in this, this, this isn't imaginary. They're, they're actually doing these things. And you're, women especially are degraded, and um, uh, many of them are treated violently. Many of them have to spend their days in a coke, you know, heroin-induced haze just to make it for, from day to day, despite what they're pretending in, in all of these things. So it, it just degrades you know, all, the, all the producers, and it's, it's predatory, and it's, it's designed to, um, it's, it's, it's frankly, it's a form of patriarchy. It's, it's very abusive. So you have to think about the producers, but then you have to think about the, the consumers. Um, some people think, um, they, they allow themselves the illusion that, okay, I'm not really with somebody else. This is something I'm doing privately. I'm by myself. How is this hurting anybody? And a lot of people, that's how they think. It's how is this hurting anybody? Well, you need to think about the people that are producing this and how it's hurting them. And now, and now you're paying for it sometimes, and you're, you're basically incentivizing this degradation to them. But then number two, it's, it's definitely harming you because you're sinning. Um, Jesus says, whoever, uh, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Which means... Um, just because you're by yourself looking at something and alone doesn't mean that it's okay. Um, you're, you're not alone. Anytime your desires are fixing on something that's unholy, you are doing something sinful. And um, when you're stoking those desires and you're going after those, even if nobody else is involved and you're by yourself in the room, it's, it's a sin. And um, this one is a particularly um, addictive one because of the way it sort of rewires your brain and some of you, sadly, probably in a room this size, you have some, some experience with this, maybe experientially from yourself or somebody in your, in your family, but it does rewire your brain to prefer uh, perversions, the perversions that you're viewing there. Um, there was a woman named Belinda Luscombe who wrote a cover story for Time Magazine. I think it was about 2016. And she talked about how um, before internet pornography, there were about uh, 5% of young men under 40 who were unable to, I'm trying to be polite here, have a, uh, have a sexual response. About 5% of men under 40. It's, after internet pornography, it turned to 33%. 33% of young men under 40 unable to, with, he gets married, he has a wife, he can't, he can't have a sexual response with a real person anymore because his brain has been rewired to prefer this other thing. That's how bad it is. Right, and not just rewired, but um, from the data I've read and the research I've read, like, like you know, we all engage this periodically, it, it's, it, it, it leads to a downward spiral of perversion because the stimulation ha- has to be darker, has to be more perverse because it's a diminishing return, right? 
Dale, well, let me, let me uh, describe a couple of things real quick. And Denny started here. It's really important that you understand um, not to go to the symptoms first as reason why you ought not to engage in pornography. It starts at a place of, of what I call a theological ideal, that biblical sexuality, God has described exactly uh, what is good in biblical sexuality. And when you start there, uh, pornography becomes an abomination of that, something against God and his design. Uh, and this is the beauty of even the law for us as a tutor. It, it helps us to understand why this is bad. You see the goodness of God in something uh, where he's warning us against an abomination against him uh, to prefer the good as opposed to that which is negative. The symptoms that, that Denny's describing uh, help us to understand, I think, further why God warns us against it, because it becomes degrading. It, 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 uh, when you talk about rewiring, it, it impacts us in what's called neuroplasticity, uh, um, not in a determinative sense, right? But it, it, um, the, the, the neurons fire in a, in a different way to, uh, toward excitement. And then it, it takes that level of excitement in order to um, you know, help you to perform or whatever. So, um, and not to mention, as Denny's started in that direction, with the, the degradation, uh, the way in which women are viewed. We're, we're discounting that in our culture right now with, with the Me Too movement, um, the contributing factors with things like pornography and how men particularly view women, how women respond as if they are, um, you know, as if they are items to be used up in some way that, that's a sexual commodity. Um, all, all those things become degradations and, and hard for us to see how much we're impacted by uh, participating in, in sinful uh, things like pornography. Jared? Dr. Branch, either one, both. What I find really fascinating about this is in the wider culture, in, in secular culture, they're beginning to wrestle with this too and, and, and speak of um, pornography on the level of like public health crisis. So even you know, those who don't know God are beginning to see the impact of either a, just the addiction or uh, medical problems that this is creating for them and um, it's, it's a compounding issue. It used to be we could think of this as just purely an individual lust kind of issue. But now that we're seeing, I think, the rotten fruit of how, how rapidly um, this impacts not just the individual, but marriages and society and neighborhoods and, and, and families, um, we're having to, I think, be more rapid with our response and our, and our understanding of it. Um, as well, it's a, it, and again, what I find fascinating is as the you know culture tries to wrestle with this thing, um, and at the same time try to hold up these other values like there's really no significant difference between men and women, and um, sexual freedom is an is an ultimate virtue, and yet they're also wrestling with the fallout of that kind of you know value. Um, they have no answer for this. Um, you, they, they, you know, you can't just keep doubling down on individual freedom or, or, you know, hedonistic lifestyle. Um, and so for the Christian response, um, we have to make sure that we are pressing the gospel into every, uh, into every aspect here and not simply the, um, you know, lust is bad, therefore don't lust. I mean, that's a biblical message, but this is a much fuller um, and, and more uh, robust problem. It's connected to issues like sadness and, and depression and, and all sorts of things for which we know the gospel is, is the answer. 
Um, and so I think uh, the church's response needs to be a more fully fledged response to this as well. And not just a, um, a simply, you know, law hammer on this one sort of narrow slice of it. Yeah, if I could just pick up on what my colleagues have said, I agree with everything they said, and it's all spot on. I want to pick up on what uh, Dr. Johnson said about the theological founding foundations for, for sexuality and being a good gift from God, and then pornography is a perversion of that. Okay, so you ask, why is pornography bad? Given that what my colleagues have said, I will say to preachers, if you look at porn, women are going to know. You'll start emoting in ways you don't even know you're doing it. You'll start sending out signals you don't even pick up, but women will know it. Uh, my wife, Lisa, is here on the front row. She and I have a phrase. We believe God gives women what we call a creepometer. <laughs> and, and, man, you start looking at porn, and women will get around you, and they can't put their finger on it. They don't understand. They'll just say their creepometer goes off. And so it will it'll ruin your ministry. And um, there's so much bad that comes out of it. I appreciate what you said, that the gospel applies to all these things. Loneliness, a lot of people think, well, this is the answer to loneliness. Well, no, Jesus Christ is, right? So it's, it's a gospel-founded answer we have. Yeah, so let me kind of summarize and enumerate some of the points we touched on here as far as what's wrong with pornography. Number one, it violates Scripture's clear commands. Number two, it, it corrupts what God has made good. That's right. He made us male and female. He established the covenant of marriage. He's gifted us with sexual expression and fulfillment within that. And so it, it violates, it compromises, it corrupts that which God has made good. Number three, it objectivizes women, especially, we talked about there's both sides to this, male and female, but it especially objectifies women. That's someone's daughter, that's someone's future wife, that's someone's sister, and men are called to honor and protect, not to exploit. Number four, it dishonors your spouse, current and future. Uh, Especially men, I say to you, there is no woman out there that can compete with the artificiality of pornography. A real-life spouse will have real-life human challenges. And everything that you see through professionally made pornography is, is artificial. It's meant to stimulate. It is meant to, uh, to, to elevate the sensual. It, it, it is all, it's all a lie. Number five. Well, what I just said, it's all a lie. It's to buy into a fantasy. Number six, what we've touched on, it rewires our brains. Uh, there is a trained eroticism that takes place to where we are training our bodies through pornography as to what to respond to, what to be drawn to. And as we said, it becomes a downward spiral. This goes deeper and deeper and is more difficult to break out of. Number seven, again, we've touched on the societal implications. And yes, even in Europe, you have nations seeing this as a public health crisis. And trying to how to deal with it. Europe. And uh, one of the challenges, it, it delays marriage. It, it directly contributes to the delay of marriage and to the decline of marriage. Because if your most basic desires are being fulfilled without having to have a job, without having to brush your teeth, without having to groom yourself or care for yourself or engage life in responsible ways to provide for someone, many in their fallen state and in their selfish state will pursue that, right? So it delays marriage. It's led to the decline in childbirth more broadly. Number eight, it leads to loneliness and isolation, which is its own form of public health crisis, the own challenge we're seeing. And that often comes with depression. And uh, it, it, it leads to the state. And number nine, of course, ultimately, we, we know that if a person gives their life over to that, to a life of perversion, a life of not pursuing Christ, but running, not running to Christ and stumbling in temptation, but running to temptation, that leads to destruction. 
So, so I guess I want to ask this next question. Why is it so appealing? Why is it so addictive? What, what is taking place to where so many people say, man, I'm given to this, and, it, and it's so difficult to get out of? And let me start with Dr. Johnson. I was hoping you would start with Denny, uh, but yeah. Well, let me start with Denny. No, no it's, it's fine. So um, I, think, I think one of the reasons it's, it's exciting is um, we are, by nature, after Genesis 3, we're deceived people. And uh, it represents or imitates um, some idea that God has said is good. Uh, and that imitation, I think, is something that's exciting to us, where we have a desire, a longing. Um, as the scripture describes, we, we desire certain things. And even in those desires, they can be corrupted. And those desires, uh, even for something that is good, can be, can be tweaked in such a way because of the effects of sin in our heart, where we long for it even when it's not God's means for us. And so I think, um, you know, to, to witness something that is a perversion of that becomes exciting. Uh, and, and it feeds those particular desires to give us a, a false sense of what is good in relation to God. I mean, uh, case in point, when you think Adam and Eve takes of the fruit, the Bible describes it, it was a delight to their eyes. And I'm sure it was filling to their, to their bellies. Uh, and sin is much the same way. Desires are very similar uh, when we start talking about them on this level uh, with pornography. Yeah, it's, it's a perversion of the good. You know, I teach ethics, and uh, one of the things I teach when we talk about sexuality is that God created sex for at least four purposes. One is the consummation of marriage. Two is the expression of love. Um, uh, what's the other ones? I'm losing my mind here. Uh, consummation of marriage. Procreation. Of, uh, procreation. <laughs> that one's pretty key. And then, and then finally, pleasure. Okay, finally, pleasure. So one of the goods of the gift of sexuality is pleasure, but... The thing about our flesh and the thing about our devil is that um, the devil wants to abstract the goods away from the context that God has made them for. And he wants to pull it out and say, well, look, here's a different way that you can have pleasure. You can have this pleasure without having to worry about a marriage covenant, without having to worry about the consequences of your own fertility, without having to worry about a relationship. You can just abstract this pleasure out of all that. It'll be so much better, so much easier and what's happening there? Well, it's, the, it's, it's appealing to our flesh, and we're, and we're fallen creatures, and we're going to be struggling until we get to the other side of glory. But, but it's appealing to our flesh, but what's happening there is a strategy. I mean, Satan wants to destroy the good gift that God gave us. He gave us the gift of sexuality for marriage. He gave us marriage as a little icon of the gospel in this world. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 5, I'm speaking with reverence to the Christ in the church, which, which means that marriage was put in this world to be a little message of the gospel, to show the world how Christ loves his bride and how his bride submits to him and follows him and affirms his headship. That, that's what marriage is for. It's, it's to display the gospel to the world. And so the satanic strategy has been in every generation, how do we destroy that little icon in the world? How do we destroy that message? How do we pull it apart and tear it to shreds? Well, you've had different strategies through the ages, but this is probably the main one right now. And, and I'm, I'm saying this just as a pastor. There's no other pastoral issue that is more pervasive and killing us than this. I mean, we, marriage issues, other sin issues. I mean, nothing holds a candle to this right now because so many people are just being taken under by, by this. And the, the consequences of it, though, are to 
tear apart marriage, to keep men from wanting to be interested in marriage, from being interested in actual female, or being scared of actual females, or being so passive, they could never actually be what God had called them to be as a man. They, it's, it's horrible. So it doesn't, the, the, the ironic thing is that it actually kills sexuality. It doesn't enhance it. It kills it. And it, it puts people in a private, dark, morose place, and it just undermines all the goodness that God intends. So the thing that we need to be thinking about, first of all, is what has God called us to be as male and female? Um, for most of us, he's going to call us to marriage. Not all, but for most of us, he's going to call us to marriage. And we're just supposed to keep the marriage bed undefiled both before you're married and afterward. But our flesh and the devil are trying to rip all of that up. And so we've got to see it for what it is. There's a a bigger spiritual thing going on here, and we don't want to be on the losing side of it. That's right. On on that note, the toxicity of, of porn is beyond just sexual dysfunction, as we've you know, some of the brothers have alluded to um, previously. It quenches the fruit of the Spirit in us. It will make you a less kind person. You know, Dr. Branch mentioned, you know, the creepo factor. But even beyond that, not just sort of a, you know, perverted mentality, but it perverts everything. You become less patient. You become less gentle. Um, so even if you're not retreating from sexual expression with your wife or um, you know, romantic sort of ideas, you're afraid of women or, um, you know, sexually impotent. The other pendulum swing is aggression and trying to act out or live out the things that you think are normal because of what you've seen, um, in, in pornography. There's no stability in, in it. It, um, and to come back to what Dr. Johnson was saying, you know, this is my struggle as a younger man. And so I've thought about this a lot. Um, I thought a lot of it, um, a lot about it at the time. I certainly, through the rearview mirror, have thought a lot um, about it. What Adam and Eve saw in that fruit, I've come to see like it's a three-pronged grappling hook, right? It was a delight to the eyes. So it's, it's something that you see um, you're attracted sexually or there's just a lust for it. It looks like it's going to be good for food. So there's something that you think is satisfying in this. I'm tired. It's been a long day. I deserve a little you know, uh, rest. I deserve a little release or something. I'm stressed out. I just need something that's going to just satisfy me in the moment. Give me a break. But the thing that I think eventually caught me was that third sort of, it promised to make them wise. There was something about seeing something you haven't seen before, some kind of enlightenment, some kind of wonder that I was chasing, which is a perversion of the wonder we have in the glory of, of God. They took their eyes off of the glory of God. They saw some lesser glory in this forbidden thing. And, and that's what I started to chase. It began as just simple lust. It's, it's never really simple, but it began that way. And then it just became this beast of what can I see that I haven't seen before? And I think that also speaks to the drug factor of the compounding. You need a bigger high each time. I've, I've seen this. I need to see something else. See, see something more. I think there's, you know, plenty of people in the room right now who probably understand what I'm saying. You're constantly chasing the next thing, even in, uh, even in the usage of it. Um, something's not working. You need something more, something different, something, you know, what have you. 
And the antidote to all of this, of course, is that you take your eyes off of this thing that's making these false promises to you, and you put your eyes on the only satisfaction, the only true beauty, the truest beauty, and the only thing that can actually make you really wise, which is the glory of Christ. It's impossible to look at the glory of Christ and have a lustful um, desire for pornography at the same time. And so I had to sort of train myself to, to stare as much as I could at the beauty of Jesus. And that began to wean me off of these needs for these, you know, the dopamine rush of these, of these little things. And over time began to um, see the blossoming of the, of the fruit of the Spirit in my life, a recapturing, a flourishing of those things in me. Because it really did change who I was. And I, and, and I didn't realize that at the time. And you have, I know, written about these things. Is there a particular book you would draw people's attention to for your own story, Jared? Yeah, I tell it probably um, most fully at the, oddly enough, at the end of the Prodigal Church, which is a book I basically wrote on church leadership. But at the end, I'm I'm trying to explain why gospel centrality is the best ministry to people in this situation. I just use my own personal story in the last chapter there. Um, but that's where you can kind of read the full version of it. Yeah. Thank you. Dr. Branch. Well, thank you. That's some courageous transparency. Yeah. I think what I would say is, uh, since we're talking to a, a seminary context, is uh, I have a folder a lot of you guys have heard about. It's called my fallen folder. And every time somebody pulls one of these stunts, I print it off and put it in my fallen folder. I don't gamble. I hope you don't gamble. But if I bet money, I'd bet they'd all started with porn these guys. And uh, I want to say something to all the preachers in here. Uh, I love children. So some of you who know me know I love giving money to other people's children. It's a great joy to, to give a $5 bill to a small child and say, you can go to Sonic and get whatever you want. And, you know, they're pestering their parents in the car. I got to go to Sonic. I go to Sonic. And so I'm a wee bit wicked that way. But I, uh, I love children and children ought to love the preacher. There ought to be just this tr this earnest love between children and the preacher. So I'm going to tell you something. If you're a pastor and you're messing around with porn, the children in your church better watch out. And you say, oh, no, no, it's not, you don't know. Listen, not everybody who abuses children, no, let me back up and say this. Not everybody who looks at porn abuses children. But I don't know anybody who abused children didn't start with porn. So as a pastor, uh, we have a sacred stewardship for the boys and girls, and are, are just, it, it's so deadly and it's so toxic, um, and it grows in the dark. So that's why you've got to get accountability. This is something that grows in the dark and it dies in the light. Can I just say, just as a short note on, on that, in counseling situations too, I think it's increasingly important today, even to ask, even as awkward as this is, when, when you're discipling someone or counseling with someone, to ask what kind of porn they're looking at. There was a day where you just, I mean, there was, I guess, a variety, but today, I mean, increasingly violent. And somebody mentioned there's things, and if it's illegal pornography that someone is looking at, child, you know, those sorts of things, there's authorities that need to be contacted, um, you know, other safeguards that need to be put in place in church context, those sorts of things. But that is as telling, I think, for what needs to be done in the counseling and, and um, discipleship scenarios. Um, I just think it's increasingly important to kind of know, all right, well, let's, you know, we don't need to go into detail, but I, I want to know, like, what are we talking about here? Like, how are you using it? What are you, you know, what's, 
what's pleasing you in this, those sorts of things. That's very helpful. Thank you. So all of us are serving in institutional settings, four of us here, Dr. Burke and uh, our friends in Louisville at Southern Seminary. But we're all churchmen, teaching pastors, interim pastors, elders, pastors here on the, the stage, the five of us. Uh, let's reflect for a minute or two about what this is doing at the local church level, how it's confronting the local church, not just pastors, you know, but guard your heart. We, we've hit on that pretty, pretty sufficiently here. But as far as just generationally, like what is, for those of us in the room who minister and who will be ministering to this generation, what we should be keeping in mind at the local church level? I think the pervasive nature, we've all talked about that. Just, it, just the assumption is people are looking at porn, so don't put your head in the, the ground. Yeah, they're looking at it. That's mm-hmm. my first and most obvious point. Yeah, and it's just, it's just the scale of it is what's so daunting. Um, I hate to say this, but I have to assume almost every male has used it or, is pro- or is using, has used it within the last year at the very least, probably within the last month. So almost, that's just the case, and um, it's really sad. Um, one thing that we've been seeing is that, um, again, you don't want to be asking details for what people are looking at, but just more and more people looking at same-sex uh, type stuff um, seems to be coming out, and that's really sad, but I think a function of if you give yourself over to the perversion um, other Persians, perversions are going to emerge. So I'm, I'm really concerned about that, but it's just so pervasive. Um, you know, for me, um, I agree with Jared. We'd have gospel centrality. I also believe that we need to, we kind of need to look at each other in the eye, love each other enough to tell each other, this doesn't lead to heaven. If you go down this road and keep going down this road, it doesn't take you to Jesus. It takes you away from him. There is no fellowship light with darkness. You, you can follow Jesus or you can have this, but you can't have both. And so I'm, when I'm talking to people about this, that's what I'm trying to tell them. I'm trying to say you, you really have to choose whether this is going to be what you do or are you going to follow Christ. Because you can't take this with you to him. This is something you have to repent of. This is something that you have to that you have to leave behind. And listen, if you're a believer, God gives you everything you need for life and godliness. He gives you every resource to say no to this. Um, you have the Holy Spirit of God. Um, 2 Timothy 2.22. Does everybody know 2T22? Um, flee youthful lusts. But it doesn't just say flee youthful lusts. What does it say after that? It says, pursue righteousness and peace and love and, um, no, pursue uh, righteousness, faith, and love and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. It's assuming that you're not fighting this thing alone, just holding, you know, um, bare knuckled to the chair, trying not to do the wrong things. No, it's assuming that you're pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, you're actively doing the things that aren't going to leave you time anymore for these um, passive morose moments where you're, you're just letting yourselves go into pornography, but then also that you're doing this along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart, which means you've got to be vitally connected to a church. You've got to be vitally connected to Christian community, and you've got to blow the lid off of your dark places where nobody else can look, and you've got to let some people in. And it can't be other people who are 
having the same problem you are, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart, find some people that can help you in accountability who are having success. And it'll be real accountability. And it's important that it's in a church because it needs to be in the context of a place where there's real discipline and real accountability. So if you decide to go off, they will call it for you. Um, and they won't just continue to coddle it all the way. So it needs to be all three of those things. Flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, love, uh, and, and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. So we've, one moment, Dr. Okay, Johnson. So we're, we're migrating to where I wanted to migrate, and the minutes remain, like, where do we go from here? What do we do? Those in the room that are resonating, wanting victory, wanting to move forward, wanting to honor Christ. So I'm hearing, number one, uh, that we need to champion and pursue God, God's design. He made us male and female. He made us a sexual creature that's fulfilled in the context of marriage. So we are to champion that. Number two, I'm hearing delight in Christ. I'm hearing Jared say, look, you, you can't gaze at one while you're gazing at the other. I'm hearing Denny say, you, you can't follow one while you're following the other. And so to delight in Christ, to, to remind ourselves of the gospel of Christ, what we gain through Christ, why Christ is beautiful. Number three, I'm hearing to saturate our minds on God's Word. Dale, you want to comment on that? Yeah, I think um, so much good that's said in, in the directions that we're talking about. It, let me just say this. If you guys could sit in my office uh, and see the ways that pornography is impacting the church in terms of marriages, um, the degradation that's happening within the marriage bed, um, the things that are being excused in an exploratory manner that have no business in a marriage bed that, that people are sanctioning now because of what they see. Uh, Denny alluded to this relative to, to uh, homosexual practice. I think this is an exploration. I think it's con contribution to um, toxicity in men uh, or the abdication of their responsibility as a man. Uh, all those are contributing factors that are facing the church. And the issue of accountability, I think, is is massive. I'll, maybe I'll speak to that in, in a second. But listen to the words of Romans chapter 6. Uh, verse 12, let, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body uh, to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness. Then he goes on, as Denny mentioned earlier, but present those members uh, uh, to God at, for righteousness. I think that's a part of what's happening when we talk about rewiring. We're, we're not saying that this makes you then uh, determined in the future. Uh, it just creates a, a, uh, a need now to fulfill that desire in some way. And that's a part of what's happening in Romans chapter 6. You're presenting your members very specifically uh, to this particular desire, and you will then become a slave to it. That's the addictive nature that, that our brothers have been describing. How do you get out of that? Well, one of the ways that you get out of it, Jared alluded to, is you see the glory of Christ. You have to see the beauty of what God has given to you uh, in, in the good of sexuality. Um, what I mentioned earlier about sitting in my office, what makes a person wise is when a thought or desire comes into your mind, you can see where that end leads in the future. And if you could see the, the use of pornography over a decade and what it's done to a guy's marriage, or now maybe he's going to jail because he's uh, experienced you know, um, child pornography and, and now he's being sentenced, where he completely destroys his life and his family's life. When you can pay attention to this is how the evil one deceives then you'll take that thought captive. You'll, you'll begin to submit that thought then to the words of God. You'll begin to radically amputate those desires in your heart and mind that, you know, you don't need a cell phone. It's better that you get into heaven without a cell phone 
than to have a cell phone and not get into heaven, right? So when we think about these, these things, to, to take radical approaches, and then the accountability thing. Accountability is not just let's sit around and talk about the ways in which we sin this week and, and we pat each other on the back for that. What God calls us to is to not let these sins reign in your body. So that, as, as Denny mentioned, have people who are willing to uh, take you by the hand and, and say, brother, this is enough. We're going to do whatever it takes to get these things out of your life. And I'll mention one, one final thing. I know we've we got to hurry here. Um, the desire for pornography is not just created by sexuality. When you feed the flesh in any way, guys, I'm just going to say it, like when you're sitting around feeding yourself all day long, playing video games and entertaining yourself, you're building the flesh to such a degree that when you're tempted sexually, you will fall. And that feeding of the flesh may be socially acceptable, and it's not in relation to sexuality. But when you're feeding the flesh constantly, you're making yourself so vulnerable at moments when you could be tempted in sexuality. You have to destroy, mortify the sin that's in you, those desires, the, the pursuit of the self in fullness. That's one of the ways that you attack it, uh, is paying attention to every area of your life in the ways that you're feeding, uh, feeding the flesh, because the fruit of the flesh will, will appear at some point if you keep feeding it. Right, and um, without getting too deep into this in our remaining minutes, it, it does play into a, a broader world and culture of, of just artificiality, and you mentioned video games, I'm not, you know, there, I'm not jumping from that to pornography here, so don't overhear what I'm saying, please don't. But do hear me say that if combat, war fighting is virtual, if basketball and football are virtual, if all these other areas of life, are, if hunting and fishing is virtual, all these different things we can do virtually through games, well then it's, it, you can see there's a, a natural link to a natural step that we can take, an easy step to make, or Sexual fulfillment can be virtual too, right? That's what we're seeing. So let me pull this together here. We've talked about pursuing and championing God's design. We've talked about delighting in Christ. We've talked about saturating our mind on God's word. We've talked about accountability. And um, here I think we need to be intentional about prevention and protection, kind of the punishment. And I'm um, thinking especially here to, to fathers and mothers in the room and grandparents in the room and, and, and you know, to, to put parameters on someone's device or on their internet usage, that's not punishment, that's love. That's protection. That's prevention, right? Um, I would say a few other action steps um, to be alert. As we said throughout the past, this past conversation, you don't have to go looking for it. It's looking for you. Your phone knows more about you than you know about yourself. That's a pretty startling thing to know. Your phone knows more about you than you know about yourself if you have a smartphone. They know your age. They know your interests. They know what you look at. It knows what, what, might, what might excite you. It knows more about you than you know about yourself. Therefore, it's not random what ads show up through your social media feeds. It's not random what images come at you through those feeds. So be alert. Um, as Dr. Johnson's mentioned, be busy. Idle hands are devil's workshop. And um, be industrious. Use your time wisely. And I would finally commend to you and say, um, I would just encourage each one of us in the room to have a no nudity policy in our lives. Um, the, the movies you watch, the images you consume, just have a no nudity policy. You say, well, wait a minute. Well, sometimes I'm at a movie theater. I didn't know what was going to happen. Well, you, you, you can check ratings. You can check things like Kids in Mind, which will tell you very clearly what is and what isn't in movies. Uh, you can use something like VidAngel if it's an otherwise appropriate movie that for some strange reason has a 30-second nudity scene. Well, you Plugged can in online. What's that? Plugged in online. Plugged in online. Never heard of it, but trust you, Dr. Branch. Uh, <laughs> 
but like VidAngel that will tell you exactly what's there and you can just X out what you don't want to see. And, and if a movie is you know, otherwise acceptable, but again, for some reason they put in some wonky scene, well, then that can be excised. But, but I think if you would just draw hard lines around pursuing a no nudity policy, um, that will serve you well to keep you from defaulting to nudity. Guys, thank you so much for the conversation. Uh, it's all of grace, right? We are all here. Please hear me say, friends in the room, we are five men who are very fallen. We know that. We are five men who wrestle with the lust of the flesh like everyone else in the room. We're five men who are scratching and clawing and fighting day by day for purity. We're also five men who know the joys of marriage, know the joys of, a, of, of delighting in Christ, know the joys of walking with Christ. And so I commend that to you. Um, the conversation today, may the Lord use it in a way to strengthen you and to amplify your love for Christ and amplify your, your holiness and your honoring of Him in your lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this conversation. I thank you for the men, the wisdom, the, um, the, um, the, the insight, the biblical texts we considered, uh, the personal testimonies that were shared by grace. And Father, we pray in this place we be a community of grace, a community of redemption, a community where the default is to run to the light, not to darkness. A community where the default is to, is to bring out, not to suppress. And so, Father, I pray for each person in the room and those beyond the room and any who might listen to this conversation in the season ahead. Will we honor Christ in our lives? Will we see grace as attractive? Will we see Jesus as delightful? And would you use this time to strengthen your church and to strengthen those of us who comprise it? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.